Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Peach Pundit Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jason Pye, as always, Scott Turner, Buzz Brockway. Yo. Uh, so guys, before we jumped on, before I hit record, we were talking college football. College football is back. Yay! At, at, at last, our long national nightmare is over, except for COVID. COVID's still around, unfortunately. Which, which actually, I think is the reason we wanted to discuss this, because the collective freakout over the size of the crowds we were seeing and you know still being in the middle of a pandemic with delta the delta variant surging you know 90 go ahead scott i was and the numbers are are worse apparently than last year this time that's right yeah so but at the same time it's college football and we need something to get us by and college football is is key to our happiness there could be ninety three thousand people in sanford stadium this weekend like easily easily and, and not to mention the the, the thousands of people here who got a tailgate before the game. I watched the UNC BT game uh, last Thursday when that stadium was packed out. They were rocking out to Enter Sandman. Uh, you know, it was a that was an amazing football game. Obviously, uh, up in Charlotte this past weekend, Georgia uh, University of Georgia beat uh, Clemson Tigers. Uh, Georgia Tech, of course, lost in Northern Illinois. Uh, was, I'm not sorry, Buzz. I'm, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you guys didn't even play St. Mary's School of the Blind, and you know. By the way, can we time out? Okay, I looked up Look, St. Mary's was, has a long history of being a a a, a division <laughs> one, a Power Five beater. So you need to find a fictional school because St. Mary's School for the Blind is a real place. I'm just saying. <laughs> I looked it up after last week because you keep using there. it. Yeah. You keep using it, and I don't want you to get canceled, Jason. So you need oh, to find it. Just pick somebody else on the rest of Georgia's schedule. <laughs> Charles, <laughs> Charles, Charleston, you like UAB? Charleston Southern, UAB, Charleston Southern, yeah. Kentucky, but, Vanderbilt, but, but UAB, Missouri. UAB, UAB, UAB produced a quality NFL star, Roddy White. Sure. You know, but you know, one of my that, favorite Falcons of all time. Yeah, no, for sure. But no, you guys, I mean, you guys were, I mean, obviously, Buzz, you were at the game uh, Saturday night, Georgia Tech. Yeah, like, uh, I know it was Georgia Tech. We didn't have 93,000 people there like you're going to have in Athens. But just to be in a stadium right. with people cheering and yelling and reacting to the plays and not having this piped in fake stuff that we had to endure last year. And I'm not I'm not blaming anybody. That's just how it is what it is. But it was so awesome to be. And I, I think the first thing I saw Saturday was I turned on and one of the first, one of the noon games was Michigan at home versus uh, I can't remember even who they were playing. Those poor, uh, but yeah, hundred thousand people there in Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, and I, I was a little shocked that Governor Whitmer allowed that to happen. But also, man, that's fantastic. It's also it it's exciting. No, it's it, it is exciting. And 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 Scott, I know you're you're also a football fan, kind of South State University being your school of choice. Yeah, uh, but uh, go owls, go owls. Yeah. Uh, but I, I know, uh, I mean, I, I think all three of us are sports fans. We enjoy watching baseball, football, whatever the case may be. I'm not a big basketball fan. Yeah. I, love, I love the rest of them. But yeah. I, I know there's the sports fans in us are all kind of just mm-hmm. giddy, giddy that we're actually getting to see some live action sports yeah. with crowds there. And the, in the, the, the experience, the noise, even though we're watching from TVs, we're, we're, we're seeing the full gamut of what, what it was like pre pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I went to Chicago, went to Wrigley Field this summer. You know, and and that was an amazing experience. It was a packed out crowd, 30 plus thousand people on a day game, you know, a, a Thursday afternoon day game. Uh, it was amazing experience uh, the, just to walk the halls of places, you know, the ghosts speak to you at Wrigley. You can you can almost hear like Ernie Banks saying, let's play two. 
it's amazing. It's just, you know, or Harry Carey singing, take me out to the ball game. It's, you know, that type of experience being in person, you just can't replicate it. And it certainly is way better than having plastic cutouts of people's faces and dogs and stuff in the stands. Um, And I'll just say one other thing, you know, obviously I went to Kennesaw state and I'm, I, I cheer on for Kennesaw state. I grew up a Florida state fan. Bobby Bowden passed away this year. The Florida State Band had a, a wonderful tribute to Bobby Bowden, who, by all accounts, this is a classy individual. They they spelled his name while they played Amazing Grace, and the fans there were electric playing against Notre Dame. That was one of the most entertaining college football games I can remember from Florida State in the last six, seven years uh, since James Winston left, really. And, and FSU put up a hell of a fight. They did, and that was what was great about that is seeing that type of heart from them which had been absent, frankly, over the last several years. And there was some great games, numerous great games over the weekend. And I think, you know, I heard some players, some of the players at different schools talking about how the crowd uh, spurred them on, helped them, helped their performance. So, but yeah. I mean, it, 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 it strikes me as interesting that, that, that people are freaking out when we, we've had baseball all summer long, uh, yeah, COVID, COVID is, you know, the Delta variant is raging all over the place. I don't think that baseball has, uh, was the cause of that. And I don't think that college football is going to make it any worse than it already is, you know? Right. It, it seems to me, I'm, I'm no epidemiologist. I wouldn't dare pretend, but it just doesn't, it strikes me as common sense that, uh, adding college football to the mix of an, of, uh, when we've had, uh, all, you know, spring and summer and now fall of baseball with packed stadiums all across the country. It's the same I, dynamic in my mind. For, I mean, first of all, in, in, in the vast majority of these games that are being played, obviously there are a couple that were played this past weekend in domes, uh, but these are outdoor experiences. The, the students, uh, most schools, uh, particularly public school, public colleges are requiring vaccinations, uh, not to mention the fact that that you know, many of us are vaccinated, maybe not all of us, and certainly in some states, not even half of us, but many of us, if not half, roughly half of us are vaccinated. So we're getting there. And I think it's, I think it's, you know, I, I mean, I would not have a problem going and watching a college football game. Um, of course, I'm vaccinated. I'm going to get my booster shot when that's ready. Uh, but I, I, at the same time, it was, there was this one, um, there was one, uh, tweet I saw, I forgot who, who it was. It was criticizing uh, people for being at the game. He's like, you know, something along the line, this is a super spreader event, or it was a nightmare or something like that. Of course, somebody found an old tweet of his where he went to an indoor basketball game. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's like, I mean, come on, if it's okay for you, it's okay for the rest of us. Like, yeah. you know, right. please, please step off your high horse, stop virtue signaling. You do it too. Uh, yeah. We're all ready for this to be ever with. And you can't no, that. You were so excited about it. You tweeted about it. Here's the proof. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, it's, I realize the elites think they're governed differently from the rest of us, but we're all ready for this to be over with. It's time for life. I mean, I think at this, I think at this stage, you know, though I, I, was, I mentioned this today to a friend of mine at this stage, I think we're all trying to, cause right after Delta is going to come another variant and there's already another variant that's popping up in the United States. Uh, and I think we're all kind of like under the realizing that this is something we might have to live with for a while. Well, uh, it, and it's up to us to manage our own risk, right? Nobody yeah. can do that for us. If you're not comfortable, don't go. It, you know, that's the, the short and 
answer. If you are comfortable, mitigate your risk. Do the hand washing. Stay as far away as you can if, whenever possible. Wear a mask if that makes you feel better. You know, do, there are things you can do to mitigate your risk, but you own that risk, right? right? Nobody else does. The government doesn't own it for you. The, and Governor Kemp doesn't own it for you. The U, UGA Bulldogs do not own it for you. Yeah. If you, you can choose not to participate in these things and eliminate that risk for yourself. Yeah, if I was 10, 20 years older, maybe I'd think differently. I'm 40 you know, I'm not high risk. I don't have any, I don't have any condition. I'm not diabetic. I don't have any conditions that would be exacerbated if I got COVID. You know, I feel comfortable going out. Of course, I wash my hands or wear a mask when, when I feel like it's necessary. But like, you know, judge, like you said, Scott, I mean, measure your own risk. I mean, right. you know, you, and you can't, we yeah. can't, we can't live our lives stuck inside of our houses. We I can't think do it's, that. It's forcing us, it's forcing us to get to where Guys like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya at Stanford University have said that we should be in doing a long time ago, and that's learning how to live with this virus, because it is not going away. It, it, we are not, we are never going to stamp this out. Uh, so it's going to have to be, we, we have to learn how to live with it and or learn how to function and live it, our lives, it, just it, like we have with all sorts of other things. Right. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be, I mean... You know, it's it. It's, I don't know that this is going to go away, even with a vaccine. And you even think about it from this perspective, for all the people who are freaking out about vaccines, I mean, you the, the you have to get the flu vaccine every year. It doesn't, it, you know, you those are there is your there's a layer of protection. It doesn't mean you're not going to get it. It weakens the symptoms at best in most people, the vast yeah. majority of people. And you know, it, but it's we have to learn how to live with it. We're going to wind up hopefully treating it like flu season. In a couple of years, but we all have to I mean we all have to take the steps necessary. If, you know, like I understand not everyone can get vaccinated, but we have to take those steps. But I'm not willing to slow down my life out of fear. And I think I think you're in the same place. I think Scott, you're in the same yeah. place. And we it's time for us to take precautions, but let's let's move on. But I'll tell you something, sure. someone who's not moving on. Uh, and that was a that was a segue. Uh <laughs> Jing. Nice. Uh, so we didn't talk about this last week because it hadn't happened yet, but uh, the uh, Jackie Johnson, the former Brunswick Judicial Circuit Prosecutor, uh, District Attorney, uh, was charged with, uh, let's see, two counts, uh, according to the Atlanta Journal of Constitution, uh, she was pro uh, indicted last Tuesday, Thursday on two counts following an inquiry by the GBI that had been called for by uh, Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr. Uh, she has been charged with an obstruction of a police officer, uh, uh, which is a misdemeanor. And let's see, I'm trying to find, oh, alleged, uh, indicted for allegedly violating her oath of office, which is a felony, uh, because she showed favor and affection to Greg McMichael, uh, and who is Travis McMichael's father, and is also charged in, in this particular case, that case being the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey uh, early last year. Uh, down if I remember there. correctly, Greg, uh, the older McMichael, at one point in time, worked, worked for, her. for her as a as an investigator, right? Right. That's right. Uh, she she badly botched the investigation. Uh, she uh, of course she was defeated uh, when she ran for reelection. Thank God. Uh, but this th this particular instance uh, or this particular case is one that um, I think a lot. I mean, obviously, I think George Floyd. What happened to the officer in that particular uh, circumstance, charged with murder? convicted of murder um obviously jackie johnson did not do that but she tried to essentially uh uh she tried to basically sweep it under the rug for her friend that's essentially a, that's better than how i was gonna put it yeah <laughs> uh, right 
uh, and and treat it sort of business as usual. Obviously, and the, the judge in the case has, has said that uh, Aubrey's past interactions with law enforcement can't be used uh, in the the defendant's uh, case. Because uh, he court. didn't know. Yeah, the defendant right. yeah. didn't know. Yeah. The, 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 what was interesting about that case when it broke was that it had happened so long yeah. from the actual event until we started hearing about it. Right. It was months. Right. And part of the reason why was because Jackie Johnson was busily trying to keep it from becoming public. And it wasn't yeah. until we had that cell phone video from the guy who was riding behind those guys filming it. Um, who leaked the, the video that it began to gain, gain any traction whatsoever. You know, that yeah. person was fearful for their life. Frankly, they, they were, you know, what do I do with this? Should I go public or not? It, you know, this is being swept on the rug clearly and nothing was going to happen in that case. You know, Ahmad Arbery may not have been a household name. We may never have heard about him if that guy hadn't come forward with that video evidence. Yeah, and, yep. and you also have the accusations of rape, racial epithets that were used uh, after he was murdered or after he was shot. I don't know that he had expired yet, but you know this is this is a, a an obvious, um, uh, I, I guess, attempted uh, uh, trying to keep keep justice from happening. And, and I'm glad to see that uh, that she was charged. She turned herself in. Uh, obviously, she'll she'll stand trial. I you know what what happens next is, is obviously up to a jury. Um, but it, it's, it's certainly, it's hard not to see where there was a gross violation of her oath and, and, um, and, and look, uh, it's up to the jury of the peers, but it's pretty, I mean, from my, from sitting here in my perspective, I, I see this as pretty yeah. cut and dry. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she is a lawyer, so she, I'm sure she's going to, to be involved in her own defense somehow and, and working with her attorneys to develop, a, you know, a, a very sturdy defense, uh, that being said, I, you know, I, I think with all the eyes and attention that are on this particular case in this proceeding, that they can't they can't show any type of favoritism whatsoever. Otherwise, they're going to get called on it, and and so that gives me hope that you know the trial will be fair, and uh, you know she'll she'll have to face that jury and put her her fate in those those twelve individuals' hands. It it just and to, to kind of continue on with this this theme for a second just the broader context because obviously you had you had george floyd you had brianna taylor uh obviously the the, the uh, debate over policing no knock raids chokeholds um that hasn't gone anywhere federally because republicans and democrats can't seem to get the, the you know get on the same page in terms of what the priorities are um you know, obviously qualified immunity is a part of the discussion, but like, that's not the only issue that, right. that even exists as far as policing goes. And I think I've said this before, Democrats wanted to go too far. Republicans didn't want to go far enough. Um, and, and it certainly seemed like, it, it, I mean, look, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. It certainly seemed like Cory, Cory Booker, not so much. I don't think Karen Bass was an honest actor when it, when it came to the, these negotiations, but I think Cory Booker was truly interested in getting something yeah. done. Uh, but Tim Scott, Tim seemed, Scott, right? This, well, this I, I don't, Scott. I don't know that Scott. Scott seemed to be the one who was moving the goalposts, um, and, and that's that's what I could. That, and this is, you know, uh, I, I'm looking at this through a federal lens, and right. it it seemed like Scott was was moving the goalposts. Uh, obviously, there was the and, and there are questions remain. Like, you know, one of the big hiccups that we had was the release of. Uh, you draft legislation like a discussion draft that wound up in the hands of Politico and published online in a story that 
kind of blew things up there for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here we are. I mean, we keep, you know, we got to have this done by the end of June. We got to have this done by the end of July. We're going to have it done before August recess. And here we are. The Senate comes back next week and yeah. we're nowhere near a deal on policing. And it's starting to make me wonder. I mean, well, <laughs> it didn't start to make me wonder, but it's, it's obvious it's not going to happen. Yeah, but um, so let me ask, let me pose this theory. These things will be better addressed at the state level, right? You're not wrong. I think, you know, I think, you know, we can point to the Georgia legislature. There was, uh, you know, pretty immediately a broad bipartisan consensus that we should uh, make substantial changes. We had Burt Reeves on our, our podcast who was leading that effort to to uh, substantially reform Georgia's um you know, citizen arrest uh, law, which which happened, um, and there, I think there are other things that we, a lot of other things we should take a look at on the state level that could that can improve this situation. And yeah, I, I, and there has been some efforts at the state level here in the legislature to tackle the issue of sovereign immunity, um, which has to happen as well. I think, and that's part of this. If for yeah. those who don't know, sovereign immunity. Um, is this concept where if you have your rights, rights violated, you have to ask permission from the government to sue them for restitution uh, and, and to defend your rights. And if you don't get that permission, the court case is basically tossed. And so it's almost impossible to gain standing in any types of these cases because of sovereign immunity. That is a law here in Georgia. And there are several more influential members of the legislature who attempt to take on that issue. I think uh, Chuck Abstration out of Gwinnett County is one of those guys who, you know, Andy Welch made it one of his missions to try. And we actually passed a bill and ended up getting vetoed. And uh, for whatever reason, we didn't overturn that. We had the votes to overturn it, but we didn't. And we should have, we should have at least tried, I think. I mean, I think, so I, guess, and, I guess my larger point is that it's just so hard to get anything done in Washington right now. And that's, that's not new. It's been that way for a while. I don't see it changing, you know, no matter what the results of the 2022 election are on the congressional, on the federal level, is is nobody's going to have a majority large enough to just pass these types of bills through, uh, uh, you know, whatever their views are. So I, I think I, I don't should turn their e- efforts to the state level to get stuff done. I don't disagree with you. And, and I've said many a times uh, over the course of the past year and a half that this is predominantly a state and local issue. Uh, that said, Congress does have ways to to use the power of the purse to uh, to help facilitate changes. And, and I, I say facilitate. I'm not saying force. I'm saying facilitate changes at the at the, the state and local level. You can do that through grant funding, burn JAG, COPS grants. Uh, burn, this burn JAG is the burn justice assistance grant uh, assistance grant program. You can use that as a way to expand programming to to. Uh, you know, to expand existing programming to do and bring new programming for other forms of training that you need or that police officers need. Um, You know, those are ways you can do it. Obviously, you can use some of that too to facilitate changes like banning chokeholds or ending no-knock warrants, which are things I'm, I I think is I'm supportive of. It's when you get into some of the things that Democrats wanted, where we're going to, we're going to eliminate qualified immunity, but only for cops. Which was, which was what they tried to do in the Justice and Policing Act, when we're going to have a nationwide police misconduct database that's not going to really have any privacy protections at all. And if your yeah. law enforcement agency doesn't participate in it, you don't get any federal funding for anything. That's the kind of, that, I, that stuff is, is a load of crap. 
but yeah. there are there are ways to facilitate uh, better training for officers. And when I say facilitate, I truly mean facilitate, not force. Right. Uh, so, but yeah. and and you have to do it right, you know, as we've talked before, because you know we hear anecdotal stories that uh, there are a lot of officers across Georgia, across the country who are leaving the force. Mm -hmm. uh, as I was going downtown Saturday to the game, there's these billboards. You know, uh, uh, Gwinnett County Police is offering a $2,000 signing bonus. Uh, so that, that they're enticing, trying to entice people. That, that indicates that they're having a hard time hiring people. There could be a number of factors for that, but, uh, you know, certainly all of these things have made it less appealing. All these things that have occurred since the death of Ahmed Arbery and George Floyd have made it less appealing to be a police officer. Uh, so... That's, I mean, I, that's a uh, that rate that creates a whole other set of problems. I I am I am sure that's true, and and you know I mean we, you hear that other places as well, and you know I I wish I wish there was a silver bullet for that. I mean law, right. I mean I think anybody who's who works in uh, in government, broadly <laughs> speaking, uh, particularly teachers and law enforcement, are probably underpaid. Um, yeah. And it's know, a sucky job right now. Yeah, it's a, especially All those things are. Yeah, it is. But at the at the same time, uh, at the same time, it's you know some of the some of the look. I am not a fan of of the defund the police stuff. Um, I, I think we need I think we need a well trained law enforcement. I think we need. Um, I would I hesitate to say more law enforcement, but we need law enforcement. I mean, yeah. uh, who? I mean, I don't know about you two, but I've my home has been broken into. Uh, it's been 10 years, but my home has been broken into. I didn't, I, you know, I called the police. I called the local yeah. sheriff's department to come out and investigate. Right. You know, um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm glad the, I'm glad law enforcement's there at the same time. At the same time, I just want them to, I, I want them to act within the color of law yeah. and, 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 you know, there, are, but, you know, but I, I just, I, I want to see better training. I want to see things change where people, where they're where they're they're going after actual crimes and rather than petty crimes and stupid stuff like that so scott you got anything yeah before we move on no well scott is well spoken as always <laughs> uh so uh moving on to uh, some, uh more georgia politics more more specific to races uh obviously last week we talked about vernon jones and his uh supposed endorsement from herschel walker that never actually happened uh, Herschel Walker, as Scott said, was probably uh, Scott or Buzz. I don't remember which one of you. You all, you, you both, you both sound the same. I mean, um, so uh, Her Herschel Walker, being smart about it, didn't want to. You know, he's got his own race to worry about. Don't get in the middle of another race. Uh, but Brian Kemp did pick up a number of endorsements recently. Uh, dare, from, dare I say, hundreds of endorsements, <laughs> uh, including um, uh, well, from state legislators. Uh, but there were some not notable uh, names not on that, that list of uh, of endorsements. Uh, Scott, you want to you want to tell us? Yeah, about starting, I guess, with the Speaker of the House, David Ralston um, was not on that list of legislators. Uh, that was, I think, uh, an eye opening thing. I don't know why the 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 speaker wouldn't uh, go ahead and throw his his weight behind, no pun intended, behind the governor. Uh, but he didn't. He chose not to. There were a couple of other House members who didn't that were notable exceptions. Uh, Philip Singleton, who we've spoken about on the podcast. Sherry Gilligan also did not. Uh, so, but also over on the Senate side, there were a couple of notable names missing. Burt Jones, 
who we'll talk about in a second, getting the Trump endorsement for Lieutenant Governor, uh, was not on that list. And neither was Senator Brandon Beach, who famously faked an endorsement from Governor Kemp in his last reelect, uh, <laughs> and yet couldn't bring himself to add his name to the gigantic list of legislators who were endorsing Brian Kemp. I thought that was absolutely fascinating that he chose not to endorse the governor. Maybe he's coming with a fake endorsement of Kemp later on. Huh? <laughs> well, if I were Kemp, I would just put his name on the list. Kind of like, <laughs> you know, tip for tat. Can we just, I, I, I feel like I, I can't recall that we've ever I mean, I'm sure we've said this before, but I, I can't specifically recall it. Can we just put put the charade that Brian Kemp uh, is not going to be renominated behind us? He's he's going to be the nominee. Here's the question, and I tweeted this out yesterday. And this is the question. And, you know, and if you're from the Vernon Jones camp, you're listening to this. This is my question for you: Are you going to support the governor when he earns the GOP nomination? You know, that's Vernon Jones. Vernon, are you going to support the governor when he earns the, the nomination? Because he's going to. And we're going to need your guys to, to get behind our effort. Otherwise, we're going to have a Democratic governor. And we, we've seen the trends. We know the numbers are against us. We need everybody to come together at a certain point. And I believe that point is coming because the, the, the Vernon Jones campaign is, is flailing around. They're faking endorsements from Herschel Walker. They're, they're trying to claim credit for Trump coming uh, later this month for a rally down in middle Georgia. And it, it's almost as if they're doing everything they can to say, we're here too, we're here too, we're here too, but they've got no traction. The governor is going to easily walk into the renomination for for the GOP it, side. Uh, let me, let me wait, hold on one second though. Let's buzz. I'll let, uh, let me make my let me say this, and then you chime in with what what you got. Uh, but I, I think you're right about Vernon, and he and and he needs to he needs to say it uh, because if you're a Republican, I imagine you want on all hands on deck. Right. Uh, right. That said, uh, you mentioned another name that I think is going to be pretty important for Brian Kemp, too, and that is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if Trump's candidate loses, is Trump going to support Brian Kemp? I, well, think that's, the, I think that's a question every Georgia Republican should be asking themselves. Well, the, to this point, Trump doesn't have a candidate, right? Because he looks at the race. He knows Vernon Jones can't win. He encouraged, clearly encouraged, and, and there are public news stories about Trump encouraging Vernon Jones to run, but he fails to give him the endorsement. He came out with two major endorsements this week, one of Herschel Walker and the other of Burt Jones for lieutenant governor. And he has still yet to endorse Vernon Jones, which tells you that Vernon Jones is not the Trump candidate. So there is no Trump candidate in the race against Brian Kemp. I think think you're technically, sorry, sorry, Buzz. I think you're, let me just say, you're technically right, but Trump world, I mean, is like Bernie Carrick is working for Vernon Jones. So, and Bernie Carrick has staked a lot of his, his, his credit. And Rudy was down here. Rudy Giuliani came. Yeah. 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 Rudy came for a fundraiser for Vernon. Yeah. Very clearly. And yet there's still no traction for that campaign. Buzz, I've cut you off twice. I apologize. Well, what I was going to say was Vernon Jones tweeted today, uh, the results of a poll that he, his campaign commissioned by the Trafalgar group, making the assertion that if Donald Trump, would endorse Vernon Jones and Vernon Jones would win the Republican nomination. And yeah, I think he, he's desperately trying to get that official endorsement, uh, seeing that, uh, you know, two, you know, these other guys are getting these endorsements and, uh, you know, whether that, that, I mean, I find that interesting when a couple of weeks ago, Trump released a poll showing that David Perdue 
the best that uh, David Perdue, a more respected Republican within Republican circles, would all the best that he could hope for would be to. Uh, Go to my phone is ringing in here. Uh, <laughs> would be to uh, uh, force Camp to do a runoff. So excuse right. me. Yeah. Some, of, some of us put our phones on uh, mute, Buzz. Yeah, I didn't either. My so phone is phone on rings. mute, but my mom—I didn't realize my mom's phone was in here. So, <laughs> so, but that's the point, right? Is that uh, you know, Trump released that poll trying to encourage David Perdue to run, because even though Vernon's already in the race, so clearly Vernon's not the guy. He's not Trump's guy. Yeah, I mean, but well, I, I think, it, it, but the, the, I think the, what the interesting question be that you guys are racing is if if Trump, it's you know. All the doors are being closed. Purdue's not going to run. Burt Jones turned him down. There was apparently a lot of pressure on Burt Jones to run for governor by Trump uh, instead of lieutenant governor. He did decided not to do it. Um, you know, Doug Collins is out. All these people are out. There's, you know, there's this mayor of Washington, Georgia, who's floating around uh, that doesn't seem to be lighting the world on fire. So when the when his back's against the wall, is Trump going to endorse Vernon Jones or not? Clearly, Vernon wants it to happen, but would right. he? And, and at Trump this point, willing to risk his risk his brand on a guy who would get stomped. I mean, you know, look, it's going to be tough for Brian Kemp if Stacey Abrams won, went runs. It's going to be a, a dogfight. Has, uh, has Stacey David, Abrams would pound Vernon Jones into the ground? Has David Perdue endorsed Brian Kemp? Not that I'm aware of. I mean. Sonny Purdue, Sonny Purdue, you know, uh, has said very nice things about Kemp, and you know, recently, yeah, he was at the fish fry. Sonny yeah. is not Sonny is not David, uh, but you know they don't often part ways politically. So yeah, but Sonny, Sonny was one of uh, Sonny was one of Trump's longest serving cabinet members, and uh, has, has has you know at the fish fry did introduce Brian Kemp and you know, told the, the crowd to be respectful, which limited the booze, according to some. Um, it, there are, there's a small group of Vernon supporters going to every event now booing and say, so they can say that the governor has, was getting booze, but it's just pretty much the same small group of people everywhere you go. I don't think, I don't think that David Perdue has officially endorsed anybody. He's appeared at, he appeared at, um, at a, uh, at a Burt Jones event. He's appeared at some other candidates events. And then when pressed, is this an endorsement has not you know, it's not said, it's said they're not, or, or no, not no, said that, they are. That, that, so, may, that, that may be the case. I, I was just asking. Cause I, I mean, yeah. you know, I, it's, I was just, I was just curious and I figured it's a name that was not on that long list of, uh, of well-heeled politicos and politicians who were endorsing the governor Kemp again. You guys yeah. would know, you guys would know better than I would. So, but here's the last thing I'll say, I'll leave, this is the last word I'll have on, on the Vernon Jones, um, and the list of endorsements that came for the governor from the legislature, even the people who, who did not endorse the governor, who are Republicans are not going to endorse Vernon Jones because they served with him. And the fact that you, that, that we all served with Vernon Jones in the legislature and not, not, I wasn't on the list. I wasn't asked to be on the list, but all these Republicans that served with Vernon very clearly and loudly spoke in unison saying, Governor Kemp is our guy, tells you everything you need to know about Vernon Jones and his time in the legislature. He was not a Republican. He wasn't even close right. to a Republican. He was not close to being conservative. He was a liberal on a great deal of the many issues that, that are concerning to conservatives. So 
I, I think it was very telling at the end of the day that Vernon is not picking up any endorsements from the people who knew him best that served next to him side by side in the legislature while he was there. Not one. Uh, so moving along, uh, we have a new book release from a Georgia Politico. Uh, that is Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who this week, uh, well, I guess rolled out, you could pre-order it now, GOP 2.0, uh, how the 2020 election can lead to a better way forward for America's conservative party. Uh, the book is now available, again, it's available for pre-order, probably can get it on Amazon. I have it. I think it, I think it's a, well, I think it's a, not a bestseller, but it's it a- It went to number one bestseller on Amazon. One. Okay. I hadn't seen that. That's great. Uh, so, but uh, Duncan is, is obviously not running for re-election, only serving one term as Lieutenant Governor. Uh, he's focusing a lot of his efforts on, on this GOP 2.0 effort, which he has a whole website. It's GOP2.org. Uh, I, I probably won't read this book. Uh, I probably, probably won't buy it because um, my, my reading has been solely based on like the last, the last year of the disaster that was Trump's presidency. Uh, well, this uh, is a book about the Trump presidency, ultimately. So yeah, but it's more it's more it's more it's more political science. So it's not so much <laughs> not not so much uh, presidential history. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm curious. Uh, have either of you guys had a chance to look at the book? Uh, I've, or... uh, I've read it. Um, just in, and in full disclosure, I'm helping Jeff with his GOP 2.0 efforts. Uh, so I, I I got an advanced copy. It's it the book. Um, it's probably half and half. It's half. Uh, you know, the post-election madness from Jeff's viewpoint, things that happened and went on. It's not a book that's, you know, I know he, he's been labeled a never Trumper and all this sort of stuff. That's not what this is. He's not, he, he's, a, he's, it's more sadness and, a, and, and shock and astounded at the events that took place than it is, uh, let, me, let me post a book that rips Trump to shreds. The second half of the book is yes, what what Jeff thinks that Republicans ought to be doing, uh, and that's what the GOP 2.0 idea is that that the, that the Republican Party and just in short ought to be uh, a a party of ideas and a party of that's uh, that's optimistic and forward looking and uh, putting together coalitions of, of like minded people that can win and have a growth and opportunity for everybody. So. Scott, he's, yeah. he's doing the media rounds. He was on Morning Joe this morning. He's, there's an article in the Washington Post, an interview with an, an opinion piece um, uh, about it today, and there'll be um, there'll be more in the future. So, yeah, I I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to bring myself to read it. Um, I probably should. I sh I probably owe Jeff that uh, as a friend to read it, but I just I don't know. I, I the 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 issues I have are not what are widely distributed as public knowledge. So I I just don't think I have a lot of excitement about Jeff being the messenger for this particular cause um, from the way that he chose to govern to the way he aligned himself with certain people uh, that it, it still stings to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over it, but. I don't know that I would go to hear him speak about it. You know, I just, I just don't think that he's the the guy to be that messenger. I just don't. I, I think, I think I'm not disagreeing with you and mm -hmm. make, make that clear, but I think, 
and I don't know Jeff that well. I've met him a few times. He, I, I mean, look, I, I'll go as far as to say, uh, you know, I'm a fan. Uh, not because of his, I mean, I liked him before all this stuff went down. Um, th- but I think, I think the way you're looking, this is not how he's, how you perceive him through your knowledge of Georgia politics, through being a state legislator, serving with him, uh, is not how he's going to be perceived on a national scale. Like if this no, thing, if, and if I his, get it. If his project takes off, he's going to be the former lieutenant governor of Georgia who who's trying to take the Republican Party back to its roots. That's what he's going to be. Uh, I mean, and, and you know what? I hope he's successful. I do. I do. I just for, for me, you know, because of, I, of the things that I saw that I'm not going to talk about. Um, it, it's hard for me. It, it's like. It. it it's just hard for me. I, I, I have a lot of, I, it's, it's a struggle because I, I, I love him as a brother. I love him as a friend. Um, but I have a hard time accepting him as the messenger on this issue. Yeah. Under, understandable. Well, I'll just, I, I mean, look, I'll, I'll say um, there, there are always, you know, there are always things there, there, there are people who uh, get into positions of leadership as Jeff did. And they, and they do things that, that, that we don't agree with, agree with or don't agree with uh, as the case may be. Uh, I, I think that, you know, to a larger point, you know, whether Jeff is the right messenger for this project, you know, remains to be seen. He's, he's uh, you know, and I think even Scott would agree with this. He's, he's very smart, capable. He's an, an incredibly effective communicator. Brilliant. He's a guy who can uh, wow a crowd. I've seen him he's with my brilliant. own eyeballs as I was out on the campaign trail. And he was too running for lieutenant governor while I was running for secretary of state. Uh, the the man can can knock it out of the park to use to to use the baseball analogy there, but um, yeah whether whether he's the right messenger for this or not it remains to be seen and that's part of what he's trying to do. Uh, however, I, I think to 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 take a step back from that away from Jeff Duncan personally and my and our my personal affection for him and my efforts to help him with that to be that guy. He's tapped in it, you know, what he's talking about. Uh, I sense in conversations that I've had with people across the country, and I, I was, and I'll explain a little bit about in just a second. There is a market for this. There is a there is a palpable desire to see the GOP do something different. And what Jeff's talking about is there there are people like Liz Cheney, for example, who want to take who say, "All right, Trump is gone. Now is time to go back to what the GOP was back when her dad was in his heyday." Because that was a that was the vision that she and, and folks like her have for the GOP. Uh, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's desirable. There were good things and bad things about that era of the GOP. Uh, now there's the Trump version of the GOP, and there are people who want to continue down Trump's path. A lot of people uh, in in the Republican Party want to continue down the path that Trump has set us on on nationalism and populism. That's not me either. So I think what Jeff is trying to find is, okay, there could be something different. And I think there's a market for that out there. Last week, I was down in Orlando, the State Policy Network uh, 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 annual meeting. It's a, it's a collection of state-based think tanks across the country. I, I work for one, uh, the Georgia Center for Opportunity, Georgia Public Policy Foundation is, is an, another SPN affiliate in Georgia. There, I don't know how many of them, but there's multiple ones in every state across the country. These are conservatives uh, who are out there trying to advocate for conservative policy solutions within their state. And in meetings, multiple meetings that I attended and dozens and dozens of people that I talked to, 
I didn't bring up Jeff's name. Uh, and there, it wasn't a conference to bash Trump or to praise Trump. It was, but in, in conversations over and over and over again, it would come up, man, I just wish Trump would shut up and let us do our work. And so I think there's, now that may not, these are not, these are nonpartisan policy people who will probably not rush to the newspapers or the microphones to say that publicly, but that it's there and it's palpable. And if somebody can tap into it, there's something there. And obviously Jeff hopes to be a guy who can do that. Uh, and we'll see if he can or not. And, uh, and look, I know, look, uh, so, some of the some of the decisions that Jeff made that that Scott disagrees with and that I disagree with were uh, he received advice from his former campaign manager, who then became his chief of staff, who is now on Twitter night and day as one of Jeff's chief critics, ripping him and, and attacking him. Sort of like uh, Brad Raffensperger's former campaign manager is out there with things to say about Brad Raffensperger. So it's a curious thing. Uh, yeah. these, these these guys who then turn on the candidate they'd help elect one but i think what, you know we'll see we'll see if jeff is a guy who can pull this off but it's there's a there's a market for this this isn't a this isn't a side and it has nothing to do with what we talk what we're talking about but uh, since we did bring up trump a couple times uh and since we have been here buzz while you were talking uh, i just ran across a statement uh from uh for uh, former president trump in re related to the uh, statue of robert e lee that was pulled down today in richmond and I want to read uh, from you guys uh, the part of the last paragraph. Uh, if only we had Robert E. Lee to command our troops in Afghanistan, that disaster would have ended in a complete and total victory many years ago. What an embarrassment we are suffering because we don't have the genius of a Robert E. Lee. Uh, I, I swear, I thought he hated losers. <laughs> I mean, look, you, the, the, you, you can, it's one thing to respect the tactical brilliance of Robert E. Lee, which, you know, he out he outsmarted many a northern general until until Grant came along and, and smashed him. He was wrong. He was on the wrong side of that war. And for Trump to, it, it's it's dang it dang. I don't know what else to say. Other than dang. Scott, you you had something you wanted to say. Uh, no, I, I just thought that was a clever statement by you that you know he doesn't. You know, he doesn't, he supposedly doesn't like losers. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, I'm glad Robert E. Lee lost uh, take, for a lot I, of reasons. Um, it takes a loser to know a loser. I, I don't know why the former president of the United States feels like he needs to weigh in on that issue. Um, I, other than to score points with a base in hopes of keeping them galvanized heading into another real, uh, another election attempt. Uh, yep. And if that's the case, you know, we've got other issues we need to, to be working on. Uh, and I'm just not excited about about it. I'm just I'm not excited about the comments. I'm not excited about the whole thing. And I'm I'm disappointed that that would be his hot take. The, you know, of all the things you could possibly say in this moment, you try to say, "Oh gosh, I wish I had that guy on our team right now, leading the charge in Afghanistan." Well, you know what, Bubba, you were in charge of Afghanistan for four years, and what'd you do? He didn't have you know? the war. You know, you didn't. I mean, you you yeah. you 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 tried, I guess. I mean, but you you didn't. If you guys you negotiated if, out of weakness with the Taliban. If you guys okay. have, if you guys haven't read, I alone can fix it. Uh, you should, because <laughs> there's there's an entire there there are parts of that book that are actually dedicated to to the deal with the Taliban, 
And it was really, it's really stark because everything that was written in that book wound up happening. Uh, and, and so you, you guys, if you, if you want to borrow my copy, I'm happy to, to bring it up to you guys next or and next time I see you guys bring it with me, but you should read it. It's a, the, I mean, I don't want to go down the whole, we've, we've talked a lot about Afghanistan, but it, right. it, one of the things, it just blows my mind that Joe Biden continued down that path when he has reversed course on so many other things that Trump was doing and trying to do. Uh, why? Yeah. Historians will, will puzzle over that for years, I'm sure. Well, I'm going to, so initially we were, I, was, I had another topic here for our next to last topic, but I'm going to move up to one uh, that deals with my party, which is the Libertarian Party. Uh, former state, uh, state representative Ken Pullen, he was a Republican, I believe served only one term and he was right. elected in 2018, yeah. uh, defeated uh, Johnny Caldwell in District 131. Uh, so he has left the Republican Party and, and switched uh, parties, uh, joining the Libertarian Party. Uh, so it's, it's, it is not unheard of for this to happen uh, for a former elected official, uh, Republican or Democrat, usually Republican, to switch parties and join the Libertarian Party. Bob Barr was the Republican member of Congress who joined the Libertarian Party, ran for president as a Libertarian in 2008. I worked on that campaign. Uh, obviously, Gary Johnson's another notable example, who was a governor for eight years in New Mexico and was the Libertarian Party's nominee in 2012 and 2016. Uh, and of course, Ron Paul, another great example of probably what some people would say is the best example of a Republican who joined the Libertarian Party and then went back to her being a Republican. Um, so I'm curious to get you guys' reaction, because Scott, I know you uh, you, prob- you served with Cong- or I, State Representative Bullock. I did, and I love Ken. Uh, Ken is a friend of mine, and I adore him. Uh, I'm confused by this particular move on his part. I haven't spoken to him about it, but you know, I think I've made my my stance on this podcast and in other places very clear that the Republican Party is the natural home for liberty loving individuals. Ken is a, a libertarian leaning Republican, and uh, he feels right now like a lot of other Republicans. Uh, maybe that could get captured in that 2.0 movement, I suppose. Uh, that the party is sort of heading in the wrong direction on a policy wise. He looks at the spending and uh, the, the national debt and he looks at that and he says, what are we doing this for? You know, why are we as a party contributing to the problems? And I think the best way you fix that is you stay engaged and active within the Republican party and you work for candidates that will bring the party back to those roots. I don't think going to a third party that has absolutely no shot of ever gaining any type of legitimacy is is the answer. Um, I, I know it made a nice little headline for the LP on their own little website, but it wasn't widely picked up as a news story. We talk about it here because we're Georgia politics centric and we know these people. But at the end of the day, I, I just, I, my instant gut reaction was what a waste, you know, because well, Ken is a brilliant guy. He's, he's articulate, he, he, he's passionate, he's an ideologue on the issues and he, he's, he's a bit of a purist. He wants to see the party stay conservative. And I think that he's going about it the wrong way. So I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I want to read the quote and buzz before I go back to what Scott said, I want to get your reaction to, but this is the quote from uh, former state representative Poland. Uh, The Republican leadership was more interested in growing government and maintaining power than focusing on liberty and small government policies. Leadership would routinely partner with Democrats to push through big government policies and showed no interest in unconstitutional gun laws, civil asset forfeiture, cannabis laws, lack of ballot access or school choice. There's basically zero difference between Republicans and Democrats in Atlanta. See, I go ahead. I'll let Buzz. Well, I I would think, I mean, my 
I don't know Ken very well. I've met him a few times. We're friends on Facebook, et cetera. That's the extent of my relationship with Ken. But when he decided not to run again, I, I kind of got the sense that he, he got elected. He had certain ideas about what he wanted to do and what it would be like when he got there. And, and I, and I think that quote uh, kind of plays into kind of what my thinking was that he became disillusioned uh, with uh, Republican leadership under the dome and, and, and now apparently the Republican Party as a whole. Uh, but I think that that uh, it seems to me this is kind of goes hand in hand with his decision to not seek reelection is just he didn't see any value uh, and, and, and couldn't abide um, what was going on in the legislature. So, Scott, I mean, you know, him better I, than I, I think that that's a fairly no for you not knowing him. I think you've pretty much nailed it. You know, Ken was one of the 12 signers on the resolution asking Ralston to resign after the story broke about the use of legislative leave and cases like rape cases lasting 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and he, I think that was kind of the first step in towards him becoming disillusioned because he saw the Democrats completely clam up, right? It was only 12 Republicans who stood up and said, you know, this is not right. What's happening here is an abuse of power. It was only 12 Republicans. And he thought for sure the Democrats would stand up, but he saw what ended up happening with, you know, we had, on the same day that uh, the caucus chairman brought a bill to reform health care and work on the certificate of need, which is a whole complex issue, just say, let's just say certificate of need reform is needed in Georgia. And one of our members of leadership in the House brought that. And he saw Democrats team up with Republicans to kill that effort to reform this really nasty policy that, that actually kills innovation and drives up costs in health care in Georgia and has no evidence of better outcomes whatsoever. Uh, he, when he saw that happen uh, in combination with a couple of the other things I've already mentioned, it, that same day, Democrats started walking to the well and introducing their bills and getting them passed. And in the past, if a Republican stepped out of line in the House of Representatives and they said, I'm gonna vote no on a bill that's gonna pass anyway, they, their bills would die. And so I think that's what he's pointing to when he says that Democrats and Republicans team up uh, to grow government in this way. Uh, I, I can point to some specific examples like that where Ken would be justified in feeling that way. However, I go back to what's the most effective way to drive change in the Republican Party, and it's not by going and joining a group of people who have no shot at making any difference whatsoever. You know, I think, and you said that multiple times on the podcast, and 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 I don't want to get into a, a, a long debate about this, uh, but as someone who has, well, let's do well I mean, <laughs> as, as someone as someone who has who has been both a, a Libertarian Party member in the past as well as a Republican in the past, uh, and seen how how uh, Republicans, particularly at the local level, treat philosophically minded uh, Libertarians, uh, the small L Libertarian. Uh, it's I, I and, and not just that. I mean, at the, at the federal level as well. I mean, uh, how they treat libertarian ideas, how some of the, the the libertarian minded members are treated. I can't help but understand why, because especially if you look at the direction, and I've said this before, but you look at the direction of the conservative movement, uh, it is basically becoming this European style Christian Democrat, and and I'm not saying that as a pejorative or anything like that. It's like the the German Christian Democratic Party. Uh, it, it's 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 this, it's this social socialist light movement uh, that it's basically you know a a 
European style compassionate conservatism with this in extreme version of social conservatism, mm-hmm. I, I think turns off a lot of libertarians. And, and I've been I've said this a few times this past week. People keeps talking about because the Libertarian Party always has these debates over between between right libertarians and left libertarians. You're either a libertarian or you're not, kind of thing. And the libertarian ideals are just not even on markets today, even on economic issues today, aren't really accepted inside the Republican Party, not to the extent they used to be. And I'll also add this too, uh, and I would go as far as to say that it is time for a because you know. Reagan talked about fusionism quite a bit. He said the heart and soul of, libertar- of conservatism is libertarianism. Yeah, he, he talked. Did. He talked about his core philosophy being a libertarian. Uh, but I, you know, and, and obviously Reagan had his faults. The war on drugs being part of it, but Democrats were just as bad as Reagan was. We had the we had the one hundred to one crack cocaine disparity largely because of Joe Biden, for God's sakes. Right. But all that said. I am of the mind at this point in time that it is time for a divorce between libertarians and conservatives. It, it no longer functions. It's a, it's a marriage that doesn't work anymore. Libertarians may not be able to stand on their own. Scott, to your point, you might be right. But at the end of the day, I do think people are thirsting for something different. Uh, and I, I'm not saying libertarians are going to go out and win elections tomorrow. I think there's a lot of work the party needs to do to become to, to be to be viable in the long term. But at the same time, I would rather run if I, and I'm not going to run for office, but if I was going to run for office, I would be embarrassed to run with an R next to my name. Well, so you are a, a libertarian, Republican libertarian. I was a libertarian before I became a Republican. I was involved in the state party as well. I got involved in my local. None of the things that you talk about, about being rejected happened to me. Um, you know, I got elected. Uh, as a Republican, uh, running as a libertarian-leaning Republican. And I didn't shy away from my ideology, and I got elected. I got elected with huge margins and reelected by gigantic margins because the way I governed was in line with the values of the people that I represented. And I also did the work. Uh, you know, the, I, I don't think it's time for uh, a divorce. You know, I've said this in the past, a renewing of the vows maybe, but not a divorce. You know, I think there needs to be a recommitment to to some of the, those principles. And uh, you're just not going to do it by going to support a campaign who or uh, an organization who nominated a guy who was part of his platform for vice president of the United States was free Waffle House for everybody. It's just not a serious organization. Wait a minute, if I'd have known that, I mean, right? that is, that is, I might have lost my vote, man. But well, I mean, free Waffle House, socialized Waffle House is probably the worst thing like that could possibly happen. Let's but just it's, it just goes to the point that it is a ridiculous, you know, they, they don't, you know, we had the Ryan on a couple of weeks ago and he was like, I ha- oh, I'd have to support a candidate like David Perdue. And I, and I didn't have time to squeeze this in. Who are the candidates you are supporting? They're ridiculous. They're not qualified for the positions that they run for. They, they don't have any opportunity to show themselves as capable because they don't get elected to the lower offices. They don't move up the ranks. They don't move up the ladder. And the reason why is because, you know, you go to an LP convention and you see somebody stripped down naked on the stage. And these are not things I'm making up. These are things that are real. And so the Libertarian Party is not the answer to to Representative Poland's concerns. His concerns are real and they have merit. And he saw it for himself. So all of that I'm saying is is that he's choosing the wrong path to try to fix it. I will remind you that the guiding light for the Republican Party right now is a man who openly talks about grabbing women by their uh, genitalia 
and who uh who yes and the, the actual the president of the united states from the other party actually did grab somebody according to uh, alleged reports so in that manner that the the former i'm not president i'm not I, yeah but you're not a democrat i'm not advocating for joe biden we're talking about the republican party whose standard bearer is donald fucking trump and the message and, i'm getting is that they all suck is that that is that what i'm hearing but the but the, it's, a, it's a message in how you get to less suckiness right i mean that's kind of where we're where, yeah. where i'm trying to head is, sure. is, do you get do you get the yeah. less suckiness by abandoning the republican party and going and joining a bunch of guys who will strip down on naked on stage or do you actually do the work man, to try to get at least it's entertaining to... at least it's entertaining there's no <laughs> violence that happens unlike on january 6th with a mob who had been convinced by trump that he you know in his lies that he could they could overturn the election i'm sorry uh you know no libertarian mobs didn't show up to the cap that's the, and that's the thing about the republican party it's not just that it's captivated by trump it's blind loyalty it is blind loyalty to a man who has no core principles who doesn't give a crap about anybody who votes yeah he and just, this is where wants power and that's this is where, this is where the Republican Party is right now, Scott. But this is where I, I won't disagree with you that there's blind loyalty to the person, which is concerning to me and and me staying active in my local party and, and in the state party and nationally as well. My my involvement is to hope to pull people away from loyalty to a person or one person and loyalty to the ideals that we can all that's share. And that's, and that's the way that I think that we fix the things that you were, that, uh, if I, if I concede all the things that you've said is true, Jason, I think the way you fix it is staying involved and having voices in the room who can articulate this message. And, and you don't do that by leaving. Uh, and just look, look, oh, to, to circle back, if I might, just for a second to Ken, uh, I, I think I, I, um, I've never been one to, you know, lecture libertarians and say, well, you've got to join with us to stand against the left, because I've, I've always thought we ought to go out and earn the votes of the, of the folks uh, in the, who, who want to make Libertarian Party their home. And that's and, and obviously Ken, Ken is a guy that the Republican Party has lost. There's there's probably more people who were lost uh, to to uh, Joe Biden this last election. I know some people who. Uh, we, yeah, we both GOP do, yeah. will probably never get back because of, of the Trump years and who have gone gone left. Uh, so, yeah, the Republican Party's got problems. Uh, you know, whether Ken made the right decision or not, that's, you know, that's for him to decide, not not for me to decide. But I will say it, you know, the local the Libertarian Party, if they haven't already, they ought to be on the phone to Ken right now trying to get him to run uh, for that for that House seat. Because uh, he might be able to pull it off, because he won down there before. I'm not advocating for that because I'm a, I'm a Republican, but I'm just saying if if the, you know, a, a marketplace of ideas would be better, a viable libertarian party would be better. Uh, you know, I just earlier in this podcast I made my pitch for why a GOP 2.0 type thing that Jeff Duncan is talking about is what the GOP ought to be doing. That's why I'm helping him with that process with that project, but. Uh, but the Democrats stink too, and and they've they've got their own internal internal war going on too. Uh, so there, there's there's a lot of a lot of turmoil in in our politics these days. There's there's a tremendous lack of leadership. There's a tremendous lack of of uh, of quality people stepping up to lead these these various parties, and that that ought to concern us all. I agree. And one thing I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, uh, uh, and I'll move on to our final topic, but uh, the, the Libertarian Party, well, I mean, all third parties and independents, 
uh, did score a bit of a court victory last week. Uh, uh, Judge uh, Lee, Leah Lee May Martin uh, from the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Georgia uh, issued a ruling that prohibits Secretary Raffensperger from enforcing the 5% petition requirement that is currently part of uh, state law. Uh, instead, they're going to enforce only a 1% uh, requirement, uh, and that's equal to the requirement necessary for an entity to gain status as a political body under Georgia law. So that's that's a that that substantially lowers the the uh, the threshold that third parties need and independents need to get on the to run a candidate. Uh, so instead of five percent, if 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 I could just insert, Jason, I'm thinking practically. I ha I had a lady try to get on a ballot against me as I in my district. As I recall, she needed roughly fifteen hundred and fifty votes somewhere in that range. So that knocks that down you know, quite significantly. So, yeah, it's, it's, it was 5% of all registered voters, uh, from the previous election, I think. Yeah. Uh, so now it's 1%. So, uh, and, uh, I don't want to belabor that because, uh, we, uh, I know Scott's probably done talking about the libertarian party. Uh, <laughs> so yep. uh, on to our final topic, this one is a bit of a culture war, um, uh, discussion. Uh, so recently last week, uh, the Supreme Court uh, refused to issue a stay against the new uh, Texas abortion law, uh, and it has caused uh, a lot of uh, consternation amongst uh, all my friends, it seems. Uh, a lot of Facebook posts, a lot of tweets, um, and it's one, uh, I, I, I've, I've, and I've said this before we got on, I largely avoid discussions about abortion because uh, I have my personal views on this subject. Uh, and my personal views are it's the toughest decision a woman will ever make. Uh, so, and I don't feel like my opinion matters. Uh, I'm a man. Uh, that said, I understand where a lot of social conservatives, particularly evangelicals, come from on this issue, uh, not just evangelicals, but also Catholics, and, and I, I get it. Um, but uh, the law stands, um, and some people have very strong opinions about this. And one of the opinions that was voiced was the CEO of a tech company that I think actually is based in Atlanta, if I recall yes. correctly. Second largest video game developer in Georgia. Right. Tripwire. Tripwire is the name of the company. Uh, John Gibson, who was the CEO of Tripwire, uh, basically expressed support for the Texas law. And then not long after he had, uh, he had stepped down, stepped down, uh, which uh, what went on behind the scenes, uh, I don't know, but the official story is he resigned and the co-founder of the, uh, of the company is taking over as interim CEO. Um, uh, this one's, it, it's even, even in philosoph philosophically libertarian circles, abortion is a divisive issue. Uh, because I would say that there are two issues uh, in, in which, on which libertarians have disagreement. One of those is abortion, the other being immigration. Um, but, and like I said before, I can understand both sides of the argument. Um, this seems wrong uh, yeah. to, to, and I say that as someone who is very socially libertarian, it seems wrong for someone to, to feel whether he felt pressured. I'm sure he did. I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Well, there's a story on BBC that I, I think uh, enlightens a little bit, you know, it has includes the tweet. So if, if you, if I may. Absolutely, Scott. Uh, so John Gibson's tweet said, proud of the U.S. Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often. Yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. And then it, uh, the BBC story talks about um, the reaction and 
the Torn Banner Studios says, uh, tweeted shortly thereafter, we do not share the opinion expressed in a recent tweet by the president of Tripwire, publisher of Chivalry 2, that's the game. The perspective is not shared by our team, nor is it reflected in the games we create. The statement stands in opposition to what we believe about women's rights. The Torn Banner is one of the subcontractors that they use. Um, and there's another one, Shipwright Studios was a work for hire studio that contributed to some of the Tripwire's games, wrote that it was ending its three-year relationship because of Mr. Gibson's comments. So it's uh, in their statement, it says, while your politics are your own, the moment you make them a matter of public discourse, you entangle all those working for and with you. Uh, we cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under the current leadership and we'll begin the cancellation of our existing contract. Uh, so you had uh, the, the Tripwire said Vice President co-founder Alan Wilson would take over as interim chief, uh, promising to listen to remaining concerns from employees and external partners. The, the idea here is that it created workplace conflict, um, his public su support and statements. That, that this is the double standard in the cult cancel culture. And even if it was the other side, and I was on the other side of, of this issue, uh, you know, there comes a time when we have to understand that this is a divisive issue. It's a 50-50 issue. Um, it, it wouldn't have changed his point of view on it, if he hadn't tweeted it, he felt it was important that as an entertainer, he showed that there were entertainers in the industry that that did have his his point of view. Uh, and that we work in a, in a time and age today in American culture where you're not allowed to have a difference of opinion. And that's really what is the most concerning for me. It, you don't need a law for this. You don't, we don't need, you know, obviously the market's going to take care of it. Did he actually get canceled? Yeah, he got canceled from this job, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be a group of like-minded people because there are so many of them that will use his talents to go make a different game and he'll make money. And, you know, we saw this with the when Chick-fil-A said that they supported traditional marriage, all of a sudden you couldn't get into a Chick-fil-A uh, to buy a chicken sandwich. The lines were around the block, including in New York City, by the way. Buzz, I'm, Buzz, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you jump in here in a second because I, I know, I know. Also, as a pro-life conservative, you have you have a lot of thoughts too. Um, I, I, the 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 thing the thing that I think bothers me. I I don't know. I mean, I, this is it, both sides do it. The left seems to do it more for sure, uh, but both sides do it. Um, but I mean, I grew up and still listen to a lot of music written by bands that actually espouse socialist ideals and socialist viewpoints. Propagandi, Refuse, No Effects. Oh, I love some Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine, who are literal communists. Uh, <laughs> I love their music, though. <laughs> I, I, mean, no, I actually have e Evil Empire on vinyl right here. Uh, but but it's I grew up listening to that stuff. There, there are themes in those music that I don't agree with, but I like the music. I, I, appreci I appreciate the musicianship. I appreciate fast drums and fast guitars uh, and uh, good melody as well. Um, and, and I don't understand, when was it decided that in society we all have to be mindless automatons? Yeah. And I, you know, it, it's it, it, and the, thing, the, the, the thing, the fact of the matter here is uh, I, I understand, like I said, I understand both sides of the issue. Uh, I'm willing to live and let let live. That is his. It's the same with like the Mozilla CEO from a couple of years ago, or Chick Fil A, or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, it's he is entitled to his opinions, or or who uh, female she's entitled to her opinions. Everybody else, we don't have to all agree in the same thing. Otherwise, life is going to be pretty boring. And and we you know and 
it just this this is I don't even necessarily agree with what he said. There are pro I think there are problems problems with this law the, the fact that it doesn't provide for the three the three exceptions the the uh, sort of Orwellian uh, disclosure website that they that they are trying that they tried to put together. I don't like those elements of the law, but I understand and respect my friends who are pro life. Well, I, I think that, you know, I know you were asking the question sort of philosophically, you know, when did it become, you know, uh, and I think the answer is when Twitter was created, you know, find that date and there's your demarcation line. You know, when, when we allow for the most extreme on either side to drive the narrative of what we're talking about, that is the problem. You know, the, the, it is a divisive issue. There are plenty of people who are pro-life, who are going to go and support this guy now. Uh, and I'm sure he'll land on his feet again. But the reality is that we have to give each other some grace when we have differing opinions. We have to. Otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not that it'd be boring. It'd be absolutely freaking terrifying. If I have a thought that is not in line with what the Twitterati has decided is mainstream today, then am I screwed? You know, because and also the 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 ball keeps moving. The, the the goalposts keep moving on what is acceptable and what's not. And if my thoughts today may be perfectly in line with what is allowed today, but if I tweet something and five years later it's found to be outside of the mainstream of what Twitterati has decided, I'm totally screwed. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the lines I've heard from from the left in the last couple of years is that capitalism is racist. You know, I mean, like this is this is yeah. how this is how I mean, this is this is how absurd it's getting. And, and like, yes, there are policies that 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 have racially dis disparate outcomes. There are policies. Uh, Jim Crow was racist, uh, yeah. but calling capitalism racist seems uh, when capitalism has lifted more people of of multicultural yeah. backgrounds out of poverty than any other yeah. economic system in America in world history. Right. I, I, I don't been cut in half. Yeah, because ca as capitalist pr principles spread across the country, but, well, th that's but I, I, mean, I, I agree with I agree with all, with many of the things you guys have said. That this is we don't have to talk about the you know what you know you, this could be any issue. This is just this this one happens to be a pro life issue. And what's curious about that is, as, as you mentioned, Scott, this this is pretty much a 50-50 issue. And so if if people if if the people who work at that company are saying we were, we will refuse to allow any, you know, they can say that it, you know, it was only when he tweeted it. Uh, and I, I think the statement that you read, Scott, were from the subcontractor who said, you know, you, they, they, when somebody expresses an opinion and entangles the entire company, that's, that's baloney. That, that's nonsensical. Uh, because how do we live with, how do we live in a, in a pluralistic society? If you can't associate, if you refuse to associate with somebody that you have a, a disagreement on, especially about an issue that's a 50-50 issue in this country. Right, it, you know, I, I didn't- It's, it's chilling, it, it's, it's scary to me because it says that, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder if our ability to live together in a pluralistic society is gonna be able to survive. And the right does it too. You know, we all sure. got, you know, not all of us, but there were a lot of people who got upset about kneeling for the national anthem before yeah. NFL football games or. I, you know, I had we, people say, I, I will never speak to you again because you cheer for the Falcons. And that's because ridiculous. That means, that means that I agree with everything Colin Kaepernick said. No, right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, you know, and I didn't agree with MLB taking the all-star game out of Atlanta this year, yeah. but 
I still went to a bunch of baseball games, yep, including yep. with Buzz. So there, this is this is where I think if if I if I waited around for people to agree with me hundred percent before I decided to do business with them, who would I do business with? Yeah. yeah. You know, and who, Jason, you mentioned uh, you know music. The same is true with movies. If 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 we if the three of us who are right of center people decided I can't watch a movie. Uh, with, where the political views of the actors uh, I disagree with, we would never watch a movie. I mean, yeah. I believe Sean Penn is an excellent actor. Just don't let yeah. me get into a room with him talking politics. You know, I, yeah. I enjoy his work as an actor, but I'm, and I'd support his work as an actor, but I'm not going to agree with him politically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mark, Mark Ruffalo, for example. Yeah. Great very, example. No, we opinionated and, polit and political on Twitter and, and very vehement against everything that you know, a bunch of things that Scott and I voted for. <laughs> so no, I, still I mean, love Marvel movie. I think he's fantastic as the Hulk. What, what, yeah, he, he was fantastic as the Hulk. And one of the things that actually, you mentioned his name, it reminded me of something. One of the things that disappointed me so much was a couple of years ago, we were working on the Yemen uh, War Powers Act to, to end the United States involvement in the civil war in Yemen, which uh, the Houthis being backed by Iran uh, and Saudi Arabia backing the Yemeni government. Uh, and we were approached by, I forget the name, which group it was. We were approached about uh, having a video done that would have mentioned Freedom Works and the other group involved that Mark Ruffalo would have, would have mentioned our groups, would have said, you have, you have groups like Freedom Works and blah, 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 you know, working together to try to, to try to, to try to get the United States out of this conflict that was never authorized by Congress. Uh, and I had to decline it because it's like, I, as much as I hate to do it, I mean, I, you know, I don't. I, mean, I don't agree with him on politics, but I would love to have done done this with him. But I can't. Our activist community would 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 kill us for it. You know, it was it was a tough call to make, but it was the, yeah, it was the, it was the, the right, right is, call. Yeah. And, and it, 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 it disappointed me to see the right becoming more and more like this. Uh, you know, boycotting the NFL and you know, raising a, raising all kinds of hell about this, that, or the other thing. And you know, I'm not going to wear Nike shoes and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's. It's exhausting. And I, it's, I stopped and it's, buying it's Nikes really when I found force. out. I'm sorry. I, I, I stopped buying Nikes when I found out they were using child labor years ago. So, I mean. That's something to boycott them over. Not, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I. Not because I, Colin Kaepernick <laughs> took a knee. Right. Yeah, I, 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 Exercising I, his First Amendment right, by I, the way. I will admit that I still, I, I've, I've still bought some Nike gear, but that's like because it's, you know, that's the only thing you can get from Georgia Bulldogs website. Like the jerseys. Well, I did, I did have like to that. laugh that when, all right, I thought you know all these all these Georgia Bulldog fans who were saying they were going to boycott Nike, when they when they drag out their Todd Gurley jersey and burn it, then I'll know it's serious. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not a big Nike fan, and I've I've always had like sort of a bias against Nike, wait. largely because the same the same issue, Scott. Wait, 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 wait. Can you get a Herschel Walker jersey without a without a Nike logo these days? I'm sure you can get it on the the sketchy store on eBay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, one thing, an officially licensed Herschel Walker jersey. I had, get, uh, is it going to be a Nike jersey? I, 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 I mean, I think I think they actually. It's like that them. meme where you're like, press you where the guy goes to press the button. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Nike jersey, no, boycott Nike, buy Herschel Walker jersey. <laughs> I, 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 I had uh, yeah, that's actually yeah, especially with him running for for uh, U.S. Senate. Uh, so <laughs> I, I had something else to add to this discussion. I had forgotten what it was, but late another late kind of story. This is this is broken since we've been on on here. I just want to get you guys quick take, no preparation for it. These will be is, these are real live hot takes here. It's a real live, real live hot takes. 
so uh, this is from Fox News. Law enforcement to reinstall fencing around U.S. Capitol ahead of September 18th rally. Uh, there is going to be a rally in front of the Capitol on September 18th in support of the, uh, the individuals who were arrested uh, during the January 6th protests. <laughs> I, well, I mean, my, my, all right, here's, here's a real hot take. Um, I, um, she who shall not be named Congresswoman and Matt Getz from Florida a couple times showed up outside of detention, detention facilities where allegedly these people were being held and were trying to make the case that somehow they're political prisoners. They're not political prisoners. They are, they are people who've been charged with a crime and, and many of you know, some of them have already been prosecuted and been, and you, you know, so that, that, that's a that's silly claim. And so if you're gonna hold a rally uh, in support of these people, I, I'm guessing that they're going to try to continue that theme that somehow these are political prisoners, um, and that would be utterly stupid. Guess who yeah. is pointless. guess who guess who is speaking at the rally? She and, not she who shall not be named and and, uh, and and junior from North Carolina. Oh, yeah, Mr. Cawthorn, the the guy who con- consistently proves why children should not be elected to public office. <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. So, I'll do respect to Michael Caldwell. But, 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 but look, the flip, yeah, yeah. Caldwell's the exception to that. Well played. Well done. Well done. Listen, yeah. listen. Here's my hot take. Right. Um, if you want to put a fence up for an event around the Capitol, uh, take it down when it's done. You know, uh, when the you know, if you want to do it on a very temporary basis, like a day, maybe yeah. two. But make sure that crap takes comes down. That they, they we have a permanent installed fence around our state capitol now, which I like it. I want to I, I want to take a, a hacksaw to it and just in, it, take as much time as I need to take it down myself. It's, it's absolutely ugly. ridiculous. It's well, it's not. It's ugly. It's it's it flies in the face of everything that's traditional about Georgia politics. Georgia politics is accessible. And you can walk into the governor's office without an appointment. You can sign the book, get yourself some peanuts, get yourself Coca-Cola for free and, you know, get yourself a Georgia flag, walk across the hallway to the secretary of state's office, get yourself a copy of the state constitution. It's a book rather than a pamphlet. And uh, you can, you can gain access to your legislators very easily. And I I don't want to see that go away. And just because we've gone through some trying times doesn't mean that that has to go away. It's not okay with me when we're putting up these fences. It's not okay that they stay there. They need to come down. They, yeah. when, the, when, the, when the heat of the moment has passed, the fences have to come down. No, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you know, the, the fence at the, the U.S. Capitol had just come down. I actually got to walk on the campus uh, through across because when, the, when there wasn't a fence there, you could, you could just walk right in front of the Capitol. And it's, you know, at night, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of scenery in Washington, D.C. Rivals, the only other one that's that rivals it is the Jefferson Memorial. Uh, and so I got to go over there one night and take some take some pictures. I it was like a Sunday night. <clears throat> I went I had just gotten in town. I went to the office for a little bit and then walked over the Capitol because I, I knew the fencing had just come down. And I, I still had those pictures there on my phone. Uh, it's just beautiful. But th- it makes me sad because if, if not, if the, the COVID protocols are bad enough, particularly on the House side, the Senate side, the, there aren't really any COVID protocols at this point, at least there weren't two months ago um, when I went on, did some meetings on the Senate side, but the house side, they're still, they're still very much in place. Uh, but this, this just adds insult to in, injury. You can't even get in the Capitol unless you have an official meeting at this look, point. I mean, in time. look, the, the Capitol 
area, Washington, D.C., the mall, all of those places have been the site of uh, massive protests for decades and decades and decades in this country on every contentious issue that Americans have ever faced. And why, why now? I, I, I don't understand this, this idea that a group of people, no matter how ridiculous we may think their, their cause is, can't gather at the Capitol without a massive now, police pro, uh, presence. Every day you walked into the Freedom Works office, there was a big mural-like photo that was taken by a Cherokee County photographer. I recognized it when I came to visit you as of the work of one of my friends here in Cherokee County yeah, of, of just this massive Tea Party protest, you know, tens of thousands of people there. We can, we can protest peacefully. And for if, if, it, if, the, if the jump, the first step towards reacting to that is to put up a fence from now on, how far have we actually slid as a country? No, uh, it makes me sad. You're, you're 100% right. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's all frustrating. It's all, it's all, I don't know, but, but I'm glad to see that she who should not be named uh, actually cares about the plight of the prisoners in America. So if you work for her staff and you're certain actually prisoners, that's yeah. the problem. No, that, and, that, and, and that's it, right. It's only certain prisoners. It's, it's the, the political prisoners, they're not political prisoners. Uh, they're not politi political prisoners. They're not. Yeah, they, they weren't. They were not picked up and arrested and booked and charged with crimes related to what they said that day. No, but if you actually if you actually care about the plight of prisoners, give, you know, give me a give me a call. Happy to talk to you about it and tell you about how what prison conditions are like in federal prisons across the country. Uh, we can get Matthew Charles on the line. He'll, he can tell you all about it. But until then, just shut up. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end the podcast until then just shut up. Yeah, uh, that's that is this has uh, been an extra long podcast. Thanks for those of you on Twitch who stuck with us. Uh, just remember, folks, every every Wednesday, usually at six, we kick off on Twitch uh, and then also uh, Facebook.com slash the peach pundit, uh, Twitter.com slash peach pundit, Scott's least favorite website, apparently, which I just learned today. And then peach pundit.com, of course, on the web. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for watching us, Buzz Scott. It's great to see you guys as always. Even though Scott, yep. you're the worst person who's ever lived. Um, I, I take that back. I don't mean that. <laughs> At least you say my name. There's some people you won't even say their name on this podcast. That, that's an idiot. Me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, peace out, folks. Have a, <laughs> Love you. Have a good rest of your week. We Bye. won't. Be, we're taking a week off next week. We'll be back week after next. Take care. Bye.